morning, Action Church. How are you all this morning? Yeah? Okay, come on. Could you help me welcome Winter Park, our South Orlando, Sanford, everybody watching online. Come on. Good to be with you this morning. Hey, I'm excited for today. If we haven't met, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Action Church. And man, I know, Pastor Stephanie, you're sitting on the front row. I I just need you to hear this. Um, And this season has been a season where I have just been reminded of how much I love Action Church, right? We moved here, my wife and I and our three kids, we moved here back in 2013 to help start Action Church in 2014 at Winter Springs High School. Come on, anybody around at Winter Springs High School? Yeah, come on, some OGs. We got some action OGs here. That, that was uh, an amazing season. And to see what God has done in the last six and a half years, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's amazing what we're part of. And I just thank you and Pastor Justin so much for what you're doing here, the way you're leading us. Can we just show some honor to them and to God and what all he's doing here at the church? In fact, just this week, just this week, I have a small group that meets on Thursday mornings and one of our group members is getting ready to move to Illinois. And uh, he was talking about how hard it's going to be to find a new church in Springfield, Illinois. I mean, he's moving to the land of the Simpsons, right? And so the joke was Ned Flanders is going to be your neighbor. It's going to be okay. But we were talking about how just special action is. And we just were all kind of getting swept up in that. And what we've been able to do in this season through some of the outreaches that we've been part of and to, to be able to take a time off from gathering like this and now coming back to gathering. I'm just, I mean, I'm just fired up. I'm stirred up and it's just been such an amazing, amazing time. And you may not know this or not, uh, know this or not, but uh, Action has a a leadership team here called the Spiritual Leadership Team. It's It's a team of four pastors that Pastor Justin leads and he's asked this spiritual leadership team, we call it the SLT because we love a good acronym at Action Church, right? But the, the spiritual leadership team uh, is a team that just Pastor Justin has asked to help pastor the church, to help spiritually lead, hence the name, the church, right? And it's one of the highest honors that I have uh, sitting on that team and helping pastor and lead the church in that way. And, and it's from that team that I want to speak to you. As a member of that team is what I want to speak today because I, I just believe we're going to study a story. It's a timely story. It's a timely message. And I just really believe that, that God is going to teach us some things today uh, in the middle of, of a difficult season on how to just trust him more. And I think we all could uh, acknowledge and admit that we are in some, some difficult days right now, right? Like it's, it's been the theme of 2020. It's like the longest difficult day ever, right? It just keeps getting more and more difficult. But here's what I know about difficult days. If I look at my, my own life, man, the, the difficult days tend to produce the best fruit. Let me, let me say it this way. Our, our difficult days often teach us the lessons, often teach us the things that we care about the most, that we teach the most, that we remember the most, right? If you were to go, to go back to, through your life and, and recount and remember the, the days that were difficult that you experienced with God, chances are you'd say things today like, man, I, I wouldn't trade those days for, for anything. What God taught me in that season and during those days, man, that's invaluable. And I know that that's the the case for me. And my hope and my prayer all week is that God would be able to teach us. He'd be able to teach us some important truths on how how to trust him more in the middle of some difficult days. My prayer is that God would stir up some faith in you, that he would be able to allow some things to shift inside of your head and that we would be able to, to operate in a way that's, that's putting our faith over our feelings in this season. Hey, I've got a friend that recently bought a Tesla. Has anybody driven a Tesla before? 
Come on, no, nobody, just me, a couple people here. Okay, here we go. We got, no, sorry, man. Well, listen, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there, right? But I, I, I have a friend that bought a Tesla not too long ago, and my eight-year-old daughter, my eight-year-old daughter is for some reason obsessed with Teslas. Like everywhere we drive, it's like a game in the car that she's in the back seat, and every car that passes our car, she just randomly shouts, Tesla, Tesla. Tesla is like, no, no, Carter, that's, that's a Miata, that's a Mazda. No, that's a Dodge. No, that's a minivan, right? Like, it's just this annoying game that, that she plays. And not too long ago, we were over at my, my friend's house who had just recently bought an actual Tesla, and I thought it was a, a great opportunity to show my eight-year-old daughter a Tesla up close and in person. And I said, Carter, you wanna see, you wanna see the Tesla? And she's like, no. She's completely disinterested, which is kids are good at that, right? I just don't understand. It's like obsessed, and then you have an opportunity to see it, and she's completely disinterested. But my friend, he looks at me, and he says, hey, you want to test drive it? I said, sure, let's go. Let's, let's test drive it. I can check off my bucket list. I drove a Tesla, right? Uh, and so I'm in the car, and we pull out onto Tuscawilla Road. And you may not know this or not about a Tesla, but a Tesla has a feature called auto drive. Like there's an autopilot feature, like the car drives itself. And so he has me pick up some speed on uh, Tuscawilla Road and he sets the autopilot on and all of a sudden this car starts to kind of like want to take over control of the steering wheel, right? And I'm driving at 10 and two because I'm a responsible driver and all of a sudden I feel the wheel starting to want to want to go places that I'm not telling it to go, right? And it was kind of freaking me out. I don't know if I've seen too many sci-fi movies where robots are trying to take over humans, right? But I'm the kind of guy that when I'm in the car, I don't even let my wife drive and she's a human, right? Like I want, I want control. I want control of the wheel. And the entire drive, I just was fighting for control of this vehicle. And my, my friend was telling me, give me a hard time in the seat. He's like, you're not enjoying it, man. You're not, you're not letting it, like trust the car. And what I realized as I was driving for the next 10 minutes or so is I couldn't hold on to the wheel of that car and allow the autopilot of the car to drive it at the same time, right? The only way the autopilot was gonna work is if I released control of the wheel. And I think that's a picture of what I'd like to talk about today. Like, if we want to trust God more in our life, it's going to require us to release more control of our life to Him, right? I, it's this way. Life's like this. I can either trust or I can control. I, I can't do both, right? And that's the, challenge. that's the challenge of life. And one thing I know about God is He is going to consistently put us in places that are gonna challenge our trust. It's gonna challenge our faith because God wants to push us into places that teach us how to put our faith over our feelings, our faith over our fear, right? Our, our faith journey is a lot like learning how to swim in a pool. And God is like the perfect swim instructor. And he's gently nudging us to the deeper waters or the deeper end of the pool because that's where all the fun happens, church. God is nudging us into deeper places of trust in him because he wants us to, to depend on him and trust him more, Amen. right? You know, I, I see it kind of like, like this in life. My, my wife and I will be married 13 years in December. And uh, man, God, yeah, thank you, thank you. She's, she's excited, Eddie's excited, thank you. I thought 13 was a good, a good number to celebrate. But 
you know, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm forgetful. I don't always do what I'm told to do or asked to do all the time. And so over the course of 13 years, my wife has, has caught on to that. And so she's very good about holding me accountable by, by asking me if I did things that, that I was supposed to do, right? Things like, like if it's just a morning that she's working out and I'm responsible for taking the kids to school, I'll get a text message. Did you pack the kids a lunch? Did you pack the kids a water bottle? Are they in their appropriate clothes for school, right? I'll get those those text messages, or if it's date night, I'll get into the car and I'm responsible for, for planning the night. I'll get questions like, did you make reservations? Where are we going? What are we gonna do? Uh, well, and I'll look at my wife. What I've learned in the last couple of years is I'll look at my wife and I'll say, babe, trust, trust. If it's a text message, I'll send the open hand emojis and I'll just say, trust, trust, right? And pray for my wife being married to me is probably not an easy thing, right? But I can see the same thing in our own lives with God, right? There's moments where, where God is planning and he's preparing and he's got a whole journey mapped out for us. He's got reservations at the restaurant and we're asking questions like, God, did you think about, God, am I gonna like, God, is it gonna be like this? And God is just saying, trust, trust. So that's what we wanna talk about today. How do we live here with, with trust? And there's a story in the Old Testament, man, where, where God, there's a godly leader who's, who's dropped into an intensely challenging time. But it's a test that pushes him to a place where he trusts God more. We're gonna spend the next 15 to, to 20 minutes here like it's an English class. And man, part of my, my past is I taught freshman English for six years, so you're in good hands here. It's gonna be like an old school English class here. And we're gonna read a few verses and we're gonna pause for context and just kind of add some, some observations to the story because this story is gonna help us maintain and learn how we maintain trust in God in the middle of difficult seasons. Second Chronicles 20 is where we're going to, to pick up this story. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. If you don't have your Bible with you, we'll have it on the screens. Let's pick up right at the beginning in verse one. It says this, it says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you and beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord. Remember that phrase, he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. Just some historical context to this story, the nation of Israel was made up of 12 different tribes. And during this specific period in history, the nation of Israel was split into two territories. There was a northern territory known as Israel that was made up by 10 tribes. There was a southern territory known as Judah that was made up of two tribes. Each tribe, each territory had its own king and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And in this current time and place, the southern kingdom of Judah was surrounded by every enemy that they had. A super enemy had been formed. Y'all remember that movie Armageddon? Come on back, uh, what was it, like late 90s? Man, man, average movie, but awesome soundtrack. Come on, Aerosmith, I could stay awake just to see you sleeping, right? Come on, remember that song? Man, that song played back at the homecoming dance. It was game over, right? But that song, man, that song, that song is playing right now, right? And the, 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 the end of Judah is imminent and, and there's an enemy pressing in. And 
really the, the distance right now, that enemy is 25 miles away. And if you're here at the Winter Park location, it's, it's to Disney. Like they're pressing in, the deck is stacked against King Jehoshaphat and the people here. And we look at this, we, we see in verse three, man, just such a, a humanizing moment. And I love when the Bible humanizes its characters and it reminds us that the people that we're reading about are just people, they're like you and me. And it tells us that, that in this moment, Jehoshaphat's response was that he was badly shaken. Man, panic. Panic is a completely and entirely human response. And Jehoshaphat is panicked. He's badly shaken. He's terrified. He's, he's gripped with fear. These are the moments that we were talking about earlier. And the moments that are either going to push you into a place of, of deeper trust and dependency with God, or they're moments that are gonna cause you to, to pull away and in fear, try to take more control of your situation. I don't know if you've had one of those moments before. Maybe you're in one of those moments right now and those moments, they look, they look different for all of us, but all of those moments, all of those moments are moments that leave us shaken, moments that leave us terrified. And moments that, that leave us with, with no answers. It's exactly where Jehoshaphat is. And we said there's a phrase we want to remember from what we just read. And it's this. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. That word beg, it, it's, it's kind of a poorly translated word for English standpoint. But the original context of that word, it means this. It was the deepest demonstration of trust that he could give to God. It's a powerful scene here. This word tells us that in this scene, in this moment, Jehoshaphat, he made a decision to pivot his focus off of his panic and to put it onto God. And that's what the rest of this story is gonna teach us, how he practically did that. How do we practically take our focus off of our panic and put it onto our God? So let's go back into this story in 2 Chronicles. We'll pick back up in verse five. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah in Jerusalem and in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Our God, did you not drive out those who lived in the land when our people of Israel arrived? Did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us. You will hear us and rescue us. And now we see what these armies are doing. Oh God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. I mean, the first thing, church, that, that trust does, trust prays when I don't know what to do. Wow. Trust prays when, when I don't know what to do. Yeah. Jehoshaphat's first response in this situation, in this impossible situation, it was to pray. I think that's important to note. His first response wasn't to, to get his generals together and strategize, right? His first response wasn't to, to increase the amount of ammunition that their armies had. It wasn't even to, to send messengers to the incoming enemies begging for mercy. And it was to pray. It was to pray. See, Jehoshaphat, he realized there were things that he could do after he prayed, but there was nothing that he could do before he prayed. 
right? Prayer, it was his greatest, it was his greatest need. If you've ever met Pastor Joseph here at Action Church, you know that, that Pastor Joseph is one of the, the best modelers of, of living a lifestyle of prayer that I know. He serves on the spiritual leadership team with us and just an amazing, amazing man of prayer. In fact, I can't count the number of times I've gone to him in his office or I've called him on the phone or I've gone over and had a meal with him somewhere and, and just poured out my heart over a problem or a situation that I've been facing. And he's such a great pastor. He listens and man, he, he makes sure that I feel like I'm heard. And as soon as I'm done, almost every single time, he says, PT, have you prayed? Have you prayed? And that's a spot on Pastor Joseph for the record, by the way. And if you haven't met Pastor Joseph before, you feel like you just did, right? But, but he'll ask that question, have you prayed? Have you prayed? And if I'm being honest, my response most of the time is, have I prayed? Of course I haven't prayed. Why do you think I'm here, Pastor Joseph? Right? But he's right. Every single time he asks that question, he's right. And if I'm being honest, the amount of times that, that I go into problem-solving mode before I go into presenting my problem to God mode, man, it's, it's embarrassingly high. And here's the thing. If we were just being honest with ourselves here today in church, which is a good place to be honest with ourselves, we'd probably say the same thing, right? Prayer, trust, praise when I don't know what to do. And what we see in this story is that prayer, it pivots our focus, Prayer pivots our focus. It's why we start with it. It reminds me that, that I don't have the answers, but I put my faith and my trust in a God that does, right? right? And, and in this story, as we're, as we're reading this story, King Jehoshaphat, the leader of the people, there's an assembly, a lot like we're in right now. There's a gathering of people, and here's the king openly confessing that I don't know what to do. I don't know where we're gonna go, but I know that God does. We're going to pray. He's pivoting the focus of the entire people off of their problems and off of their panic and putting it onto their God. And the prayer we just read, it's one of the most moving confessions of total dependency on God made in all of the Bible. And I think that it's so interesting that the king, the leader of the people, is in front of the people confessing he doesn't know what to do in complete humility and he is depending on God. He's not worried about the politics. He's not worried about the optics. He's not worried about the PR fallout. If, a, if the leader and the king is confessing, he doesn't know what to do. No, it was in humility that he was just saying, God, we need you. Yes. May God can do anything with a humble heart. That's right. And what if we led our, our, our lives the same way? Man, what if we led our marriages, our families, our places of business, and we're faced up against problems and we're faced up against things that we don't have answers to. We're not afraid to say, you know what? I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to pray. We're going to pause because we serve a God that does. Man, prayer, trust, praise when I don't know what to do. Let's go back to this story, picking up in verse 13. It says, the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them, but you're not even gonna need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. 
He's with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them for tomorrow the Lord will be with you. What this passage and part of the story teaches us about trust is that trust suits up and shows up. Trust suits up and and shows up. In verse 15, it includes seven of some of the, the most powerful words in all the Bible. It says that the battle is not yours, but God's. That's a whole different message for another day. But two verses later in verse 17 is where we have to take note because God gives an action step. God gives a promise that, hey, this battle is mine to win, not yours, but I need you to do something. There's something that I need from you. And and God says this, he says, but you're not gonna even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch. What God's telling the people here is you're gonna still have to show up. You're still going to have to face your enemy. You're still going to have to take your place. You're still going to have to walk and experience this journey. You're going to have to walk it out. I want you to have a front row seat to what I'm about to do. Right? Trust. It it suits up and it it shows up. I think of it this way. I I grew up in a small private school in Bradenton, Florida uh, called Bradenton Christian School. And we had a crosstown rivalry uh, that was called St. Stephen's. And even saying it 20 years later, I still get a taste in my mouth that I just don't like. St. Stephen's just is not, it's not good, right? And if you went to St. Stephen's, I'm sorry. Like literally, I'm sorry you went to St. Stephen's, right? The rivalry is still fierce. And I played basketball, which shouldn't be too surprising. I mean, I'm a bit of a specimen still at 39, right? And Pastor Eddie, I think I, think I, could, I, think I could lace them up still and right, right? sink a couple threes. That's good follow through right there, church. That's going to help somebody's jump shot this season, right? But here's the thing with St. Stephen's. St. Stephen's was a guaranteed win when it came to basketball every single time. Two wins a year were going to be St. Stephen's. There was no chance they had at beating us ever. It's why we continued to schedule them, right? It's not even fair to call it a rivalry, right? But here's what I knew about St. Stephen's. Man, we still had to suit up and play the game. We still had to show up. The W wasn't gonna be handed to us. I still had to put on the jersey. We still had to tip the ball and we still had to play the game in order to go home with the win, right? And that's what God is saying here, that suiting up and showing up, it's a visual demonstration of our faith. It's drawing a line in the sand that's, that's stating this. It's stating I'm not gonna go home and stay in my room panicked. I'm gonna suit up. I'm going to show up because I'm believing that God is going to move, that God is going to do something, that God is going to push on through for a victory, right? Trust, it, it suits up and it shows up. Let's go back to the story here, picking up in verse 20. It says, early the next morning, the, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and he said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the king and the, or the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. What a powerful and moving part of of Scripture here. 
maybe quite possibly the, the most powerful part of the whole story. What it shows us is this, is that trust realizes there will be times when my worship leads the way. My worship will, will lead the way. You know, if you want God's victory, you're gonna have to fight your battles God's way. We see that here in this, in this story, that there's gonna be times where God is gonna use your worship to fight. There's gonna be times where God uses your worship to, to overcome. He's gonna use your worship to, to conquer. It's because our worship proclaims the, the greatness of God and it, it professes my dependency on him. I mean, worship is, is exalting God to take a place where he can take control. You know, Corey Ten Boom was a survivor of the German concentration camps and she used to have people come up to her all of the time and say, hey, Corey, what great faith you have. She'd smile, she'd nod, and she'd always respond with, no, what a great God I have. And that's, that's what worship is. Worship is exalting the greatness of our God. It's important to note that this text, this story, it tells us that the very moment the people started to worship was the very moment that God started to move. It's the very moment that God started to show up. And I think it's true for us today, right? If God is your only hope, you're gonna sing a little different, right? If God is your only chance of something changing, you're gonna sing a little different. If God is your, your only source of healing, you're gonna sing a little different. And that's what God's doing in this story. He's, he's taking the people to a place where he's going to teach them how to sing different. He's pushing them into a deep water kind of place, a scary place because he knows that's the place that they're gonna learn what they need to learn. I think that's where God wants to take us in this season. Right? God is leading us to some deeper waters. He's leading us to a place that if we let it, it will make us more dependent, have more trust in him, have more faith in him. I mean, think about this scene. The worship team is leading them into war, into battle. I think it's important just to take a second and kind of visually set this scene up. It's just a powerful, powerful scene because as we said, Jehoshaphat, man, he's in front of the people much like this and there's millions of people gathered. An enemy is pressing in and the people have been in this scene before because they've had battles before. And what they're anticipating is, is this is the pre-war pep rally, right? I mean, this is where you get hyped up to go to battle. And here's Jehoshaphat in front of the people and he's presenting the plan as he does every single time before they go to battle. And the people are anticipating him, right, to find the Mark, Marcus, Maximus Aurelius, I mean, he wants the, like the, 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 the battler of all battlers. He wants, the people are expecting the, the dude that's all tatted up with the, the teeth necklace of people that he's killed in his past, right? That's, that's the guys, those are the warriors that the people are anticipating the king to present. That's the scene. I mean, it's like Braveheart, it's like 300. There's a, there's a moment that's, that, that they're just anticipating, but it doesn't look anything like that. Instead, this battle, the, the king says, hey, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna do something a little different, guys. Uh, worship team, would you come out? Would you guys come out real quick, worship team? We're gonna, we're gonna, go, into a, we're gonna go into a battle, I get it. But we're gonna have the, the crew with the skinny jeans and the sweaters and the scarves, like they're, they're gonna lead us. 
Well, I, I think Victor's got a tattoo, though, so it's okay, right? We'll be okay, guys. It's going to be all right. It's kind of rugged, right? And, it, and he says, I want you guys to come up front. You guys are going to come to the front lines. You guys are going to be the ones that, that lead us into battle today because we're going we're gonna to make a statement today, right? And, and he looked at one of those worship leaders, right? And he says, Adriana, I, I want you to start to sing. Your worship, your worship is going to lead us into that battlefield today. And, and she started to sing. And I, I, bet it, I bet it felt a little uncomfortable maybe then. Maybe it feels a little uncomfortable today. But she started to sing. She was making a statement that God was going before them, that God was their source of victory. And it wasn't much longer that others started to join. And pretty soon, church, pretty soon, a sound started to rise up. People started to feel a sense of faith stirring up in front of them. And a sound was going forward, church. What if we did that today? Come on, let me be your Jehoshaphat today, church, and tell you, I know your enemy is great, but your God is greater. I know the minute you start to worship, he's going to start fighting on your behalf. Come on, let's let our worship lead the way, church. Come on, let's sing out. Come on, Jesus. can change everything. And church, it'd be, it just wouldn't be right for us to stop here today and not settle eternity. If you would just bow your heads, close your eyes across all of our rooms here at South and at Sanford, right there in your living room. And there's some of you that right now, you're separated from God. You don't have a relationship with God. I wanna give you a chance to, to change that here. You know, God loves you so much so much. He brought you here today. That's how much he loves you for this moment right now. 
And what I know about you is what I know about myself. And we're not perfect. We've made mistakes. The Bible calls us sinners. And that sin, it separates us from God. But God knew that. And because of his love for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live a perfect, sinless life and die a sinner's death on a cross, a death that you and I deserve. Three days later, he overcame the grave, overcoming death, overcoming sin, allowing us now to have access and a relationship back with God. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God and you want to start it, I want to pray with you in just a second. There's others of you here today you had a relationship with God at some point in time in your life, but, but life has happened. It's caused you to pull away, but today's a day you want to recommit your life to God. I want to give you that chance as well. If that's you today, you want to commit your life to God for the first time, or you want to recommit your life, I just want you to lift your hand as a sign of surrender here all across all of our rooms. Come on, just say, God, I need you today. I want to start relationship today. It's the greatest decision you can ever make. Amazing. If that's you today and your hand is up, you can put your hand down. I want you right there from wherever you're standing just to pray this prayer. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you, God, for this moment right now. Moment that I know you're real. So God, I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my savior. Come into my life. Forever make me different. God, I thank you that today I'm leaving different because of this decision. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Church, can we put our hands together, celebrate all those that just made that decision?